0: Hello, folks. I am Spencer George, and this is the Good Folk Podcast. Today, I am excited to introduce you to the wonderful Skylar Simmons, an artist and zine creator from Clinton, North Carolina. Throughout high school and summer's home from college, she created various public works for the city, ranging from murals and sculptures to a painted community piano. Skylar attended the North Carolina Governor's School for Art, which greatly influenced her interest in interdisciplinary collaboration. She recently graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University's School of the Arts with a BFA in painting and printmaking and a minor in art history. Skylar moved to the Southern Pines area in January of 2021 with her partner, musician Sean Diesfeld, and their dog, Freckles. Although she is trained as a fine arts painter, it has been the music community in the area that truly inspires her and helped guide her into graphic design and the launch of her art account, at Papertext, on Instagram. There, she continues to help artists explore mediums, collaborate with others, and tackle DIY projects they may have thought were out of reach. Accessible art is highly important to Skylar and has always been a part of why and how she creates. In August, Skylar released SICK, a monthly zine project to promote the music and art scene of the Southern Pines and Aberdeen area. SICK prides itself on accessible, creative, and thoughtful designs, that bring people together to form stronger bonds within the community and grow the arts that define the culture of the sandhills area we are especially honored that good folk will be included in the september issue of SIC, dropping this friday those of you in the sandhills area can find copies at a variety of local businesses or you can check the pages out online which i will link in the description this is a conversation about arts access who gets to call themselves an artist the power of DIY, independent creation, and the experience of bringing together community in unexpected places. It's about harnessing the power of art to share the stories, places, and people that are important to you, and about those moments when you discover that there have been cool places right in front of you all along, and you just have to ask, who knew? I hope you enjoy. Now we we can cut (laughs) and cut all that. (laughs) So I want to kind of get started um, just with a little bit about like your own personal background. So you mentioned your bio, you're from Clinton, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about kind of your exposure to the arts growing up. Um, Did you always want to be an artist? Did you feel like that was something you had access to or knowledge of? What was that like? Um, Yeah, so I'm actually from like a small town called Clinton, North Carolina, except I'm from a smaller town that is a little closer to Roseburg, North Carolina, which is even smaller, like, community um, called Beaver Beaverdam. Uh, and I didn't really grow up, like, being around artists, but my grandfather was a doctor and my mom worked in his practice. And so I'd come home from school or, like, from being babysat or anything and... She would just give me scrap pieces of paper. I'm like sitting at this random desk in the middle of like them being on, in business hours during um, like him seeing patients and stuff, couldn't go home. And so I would just like doodle. And that is how I spent like all of my childhood. And I had some really supportive teachers uh, throughout grade school. And um, I think in like middle school, I visited Richmond for the first time. And didn't realize I was on VCU campus until later on, like years later, I'm looking at colleges. And I'm like, I recognize that place. And it felt like this moment of like, oh, that's that's where I'm supposed to be. So um, I'm actually I just graduated um, in the spring uh, with a major. in oh, Thank you. <laughs> with a major in painting and printmaking and a minor in art history. And that was actually a more impactful minor um in the grand scheme of things that i ever thought it would be because i was always like really bad at history and now it's like the predominant part of my research basis in any of like the things that i create i took an art history course i was not very good at it so i have a lot of admiration for you for that a lot of my friends were art history majors in college you're describing these degrees that are all art forms and they're all kind of different art forms um And I we are going to talk about the zine, obviously, and I want to hear about kind of your journey into zine making. But how did you choose printmaking? Um, How did you choose these things? Like, did you have any experience going into that? Because printmaking is incredible and it's also something that you don't tend often to know a lot about unless you really seek it out. Um, So how did you choose that? Um, yeah, I guess uh, my, my first start in it was I, I was big into the Sampson County Arts Council would have these summer programs for kids. And that was my first experience doing um, screen printing. And then in high school, we did block printing and I always really liked it. But I was I was more into the, the painting aspect of things, uh, especially in high school. And luckily, the painting and the printmaking programs are put together. Like you could focus more in printmaking or in painting, but there's an overlap no matter what, which is really cool because it forced me to like try out some of these things that I was like, oh, I'd never use that. And now it's a predominant part of my career, which thank goodness VCU sets it up that way. Um, Because it has these two different modes of there's painting, which has this kind of high art sort of, White cube etiquette about it, where it's like paintings are for people that already appreciate art. And then I feel like printmaking and other like more accessible forms um, of like reproductive art is for the public. And that is what I'm more interested in. And throughout middle school and high school, I was really active in my community. Um, I have a few sculptures and um, painted murals up in the downtown Clinton area. So that was always like really nice that even whenever I was like pre graduate of high school, they were like taking a chance on this kid, just being like, Oh, I want to make art. And they were like, Okay, here's a project. We need this like alleyway to look nice. And I would go and do it. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm gonna, I've, I've never been to Clinton, but I'm gonna have to go and check some of those out. Um, I'm interested. I am a folklorist, that's what I'm getting my master's degree in, and I do a lot of work with like public folklore and public art projects. That's a huge focus of my research. I am really interested in what you're talking about of art for the public versus art that is for like private consumption versus art that is for like corporations, Um, because I feel like those are three very distinct like fields of art making. Could you elaborate a little bit more on kind of what you mean by like art for the public? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I I would like for more people in their day to day lives to be able to go through and, and navigate like their own personal world and have a moment with an art piece, whether they recognize it as art or not, but it's it's just this moment of like, oh, that's a that's a cool thing. Like that's the highest bar level of like getting someone to appreciate art like in their regular day to day lives in the public is them to have this like cool moment with a piece, whether they realize it or not. Because um, I think a lot of times it's glossed over with like advertisements, like someone spent a lot of time putting the ad together, but like there's not really designer credit. And at the same time, you see something that's trying to be marketed to you. So y- you kind of immediately shut it down in your head as like being of value um, to a degree. So, yeah, I-, I think that spans into a few different things, whether it's like the zine or murals, or, like, the kinds of conversations I try to have. And I've actually noticed um, recently the more, like, the world has opened up and, like, going to bars is okay again. And anytime someone asks me what I do, I'm like, oh, I'm an artist. And they're like, oh, what kind of art do you make? I have a friend that does watercolor. And I kind of do this spiel where I info dump art history and, like, try to explain what minimalism is to a person that really, like, probably could care less, but I love to, to talk about what those kinds of metaphors mean to them. And if they were to be in, art, in an art gallery, what that experience would be for them, even if they've never gone to something like that. Because it, it's, it's something to take time out of your day to go to an art museum. And like mu- museums and galleries are set up for people that already know they want to go see art. A lot of times, like our working class and our laboring class, um, shout out Labor Day just happened, our our working class and our laboring class don't have that either kind of time or know what they want to go see or want to go explore. Um, So they're almost limited in this way of like, well, I I don't have the luxury of appreciating art. And I, I don't think it's a luxury. I think it's a cultural necessity. So you just explained what i've been trying to put into words for like eight years so well so thank you so much for that because you really put it so nicely of like art is not a luxury it is a cultural necessity and unfortunately most of the time it's not treated that way um careers in the arts aren't often treated that way it's something that is seen as like a hobby more often than like an actual pursuit um i have two questions kind of off of this so i'm going to start with one which is I also went to school for my art form, I'm a creative writer, and it's always so interesting when you meet people and you try to explain, I mean, now I study folklore and you're like, this is so important and so meaningful to me. And then you're like in a bar trying to tell somebody like what you do and they just, they can't wrap their head around it. When you were approaching art in an academic setting, oh my God, right. I think for me, it was kind of hard sometimes to to be a writer in an academic setting because it felt like yeah. all of my grades and academic worth were very dependent Blaze on over. my artistic creation. And I find that a really difficult way to like make things. I'm wondering what it was like your experience kind of with arts in academia. Did you feel supported as an like academic person studying the arts? Did you feel like that was something that was challenging? Do you think it's helped you kind of looking back on it having a degree in these things, because there are plenty of artists who are like, I'm not going to go to school. I'm just going to make my art. And while I can recognize that my degree has led me to a lot of good things, I can also be like, man, I wish I had just taken the money and like invested it in in good folk or literally anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I totally get that. Um, I I grew up I I don't even know where this pressure came from because it wasn't rooted in family or anything. Like there was no one like breathing down my neck, like, Oh, you have to make A's and stuff. But I, I always felt like I had something to prove. Um, I think because early on in my life I was labeled as like the art kid. So no one thought I was actually smart. Um, and, and so I, I've always been like good in an academic setting because I have like that internal thing of like, I have to prove myself. And, um, I guess going into VCU with knowing the track that I wanted to do and some of the things I wanted to accomplish, it was easy until abstraction came up. And then that was just a concept, like the freeness of the concept of abstraction troubled me so bad. I remember being in a critique and I I had classmates and it was a experiments in painting class. And I remember being in this class and I wasn't even on the docket of being critiqued it was someone else's work but i thought it was just so amazing and like just expressed everything that needed to be expressed in the most abstract way possible and i just start crying i'm like i'll never understand i'll never do it right i'll never get it and i like had to step away and my roommate at the time who's still a really close friend um you know ophelia gavin she goes and finds me the bath and she's like hey dude what what's wrong and um I I explained like what my my hardships were with not understanding what abstraction was or how it worked she was like you know we're all just kind of like making things up when it comes to this abstraction thing like and that was the weird thing that I it like clicked in that moment of if you're able to explain the significance and like what your intention might have been even if you don't accomplish it you're probably going to like push through that threshold of like, this is a valid piece of art and this is why it is important. And so I, I guess in that way, I got to be really creative. Um, but then given that same, like in that same breath, my same professor of that class was trying to push me to explore more. So I uh, I actually opened up a suitcase and I like painted on the inside, on the outside. And I had like nails driven through it and so the lighting like played with the way the nails were on the surface and the shadows and he was mad at me because he said it wasn't a painting that it was a sculpture because it was a three-dimensional thing and i was like i thought we were experimenting what are you what are you talking about and I, i think that was one of the few instances um that i had where there was this like standardization But at the same time, it's kind of like this glass ceiling standardization where I eventually talked my way through like, well, this is why it's a painting. Because I I said it is. That's literally the only reason it was valid. Um, And I even like talked to another professor who was amazing, Gregory Volk, who is an art critic um, and just an amazing human being. And he was like, who said this to you? And turns out... The, the grad student that was critiquing the work um, was also his student. He was like, I'm gonna have to have a talk with him. And yeah, it, it was nice because as um, we came out of COVID, so I went in and had like a normal freshman year, sophomore and junior year got interrupted by COVID. And then by senior year, everyone specifically in my grade, but within the entire program was so desperate to like have each other again. Like we knew what it was to take like for granted the community that was around us. And um, my close friend that I mentioned earlier, Ophelia, she started um, Concept Treehouse, which was like this artist collective and we'd meet for a few hours um, on our downtime and just talk about concepts of work or like different aspirations we have or the art industry on these different levels, whether it's galleries or public art making. And um, yeah, so that was really helpful that we all had this moment together of feeling the same thing, even though separately, and we came together and and made something from it. In so many ways, I feel like that is what it means to be an artist, exactly. To have all of these separate experiences, but to come together and make something of it is, that's how I describe so often like my artistic practice. Um, that sounds very cool. I I want that. Um, one question that I have for you is hearing about kind of your experience with art history, your experience in academia. It is always brought up often that the art world is this very kind of high and mighty, high brow, exclusionary place that exactly like your professor, it's like, well, that's not a painting, you know, that museums are places that you know, even if they're free and they're accessible to all, a lot of people are still afraid to walk in the door because they're like, that's not for me. I don't understand that world, especially in the field of art history. Um, a lot of times I feel like that kind of general belief prevails of, well, this is a sign of, you know, I'm cultured and I'm knowledgeable about the world and I'm sophisticated. And if you don't understand it, it's your problem. How do you navigate that as somebody who wants to break into the arts but maybe didn't grow up a lot around the arts or how how can we get past this idea that like the art world is this kind of exclusive place yeah um i i believe in growing it together um in the same way that i get excited about seeing something by gerhard richter i get just as excited seeing graffiti on like the side of a train in a train yard um i i guess with what my efforts are in like making active engagements of being like this is art you are an artist no matter what it is you create or how you create as long as you're creating something worthwhile and that you enjoy doing and appreciate and has some sort of significance in this world um that's meaningful and then i i read a few things back in school one was bruce nauman's um text Called the first man was an artist, and that's kind of like this mantra that lives in the back of my head and like tickles the nice parts of my brain that are like, keep doing the thing you're doing; it's worthwhile. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a difficult uh, world to navigate, and like a lot of times I say it like, oh no, I don't want to be gallery artist. I've got a painting up in a gallery right now in Richmond, so like. it's difficult but i i think it's it's possible to bridge practices and to engage with people that don't realize that that art has a significance or an importance um and also about what you're making um or the way in which you make i think will like touch different audiences because um like noah davis is a is a artist and he he passed away at a fairly young age um, he was in his 30s and I adore his his work and he was very underappreciated and he he got into this really interesting um like professional relationship with a woman that would commission like Joseph Albers art and like all of these super expensive crazy um museum commissions to show in his family's gallery that they set up and after his passing is kind of like that age-old tale of like you know the whole starving artist concept that then makes a name for themselves after they've passed it it was kind of that story but it's been in the past 20 years uh, 10 years honestly um it's I don't know I don't know that I fully have an answer for it I just know it's not that I'm against it nor am I indifferent from it, but I think there is a way to, like, grow and foster a culture around us so that it's not so far of a reach that if I'm handing you a zine this day and then I'm like, come see my show at the MoMA, it's not, like, outlandish that anyone's like, oh, no, I wouldn't understand what was there. Was like, well, you understood this part. You're, you're going to get this. Like, we're, we're closer than we think we are as a culture and as a society, to understand and appreciate um traditional and contemporary art forms it's just kind of opening the door right for a lot of people like once you get them in the room you know that's a lot of the hard work but but that is so often the hard part is just just opening the door and getting people to understand like you have a place here too right yeah and something that i've noticed too is while I a lot of times and somebody that's like every everything is art I know I wasn't always that way but I also know um a lot of people whether they're in the art world or not will go to certain place and stuff and see something they're like oh well that's just so ordinary and so plain like that's a painting of a bowl of apples and kind of discredit these really wonderfully made paintings that um like present the ordinary um which I just think is like an interesting critique of like what it is we're making, which I like vaguely talked about a little bit, like what you're making and how you're making it does affect how it's received. And I I always have thought that's like an interesting perspective of like this level of judgment without having um, like a bunch of knowledge about the topic. It's almost like it reinforces this idea that the only good art is like intense highbrow art because the ordinary can't be seen as art i know for writing this is like a huge thing where people are like oh you know like your journal entries that's not writing like you have to have this really long novel that took you years to write and it was so intense and so difficult and it deals with like all of your hardest pain and i think in so many ways it's really revolutionary to just be like no my diary is art. Like my painting of the lamp I look at every day is art because art is everything, right? Um, And I'm with you that like, it's so easy to just be like, art is everything. And I think when we're very young, we see that. And then you get into this like jaded, at least for me, I was like, no, I'm too cool for that, right? Like I'm only gonna make really serious art. And then it's like, what is serious art at the end of the day? I don't know. I do want to move in to the zine because you just released this amazing zine and I would love to hear in your own words, you know, I could talk about it, but I think it's more exciting if you tell us a little bit about it um, and about how this project got started. What was the idea? Yes, we will definitely like have photo. We will link to photos and everything. (laughs) Y'all can't see it, but the zine, you know, you also did a ton of graphic work for this, which I would love to hear you talk about as well, because it looks amazing i am so excited about the content and what you're doing with it and yeah for people who don't know could you tell us a little bit about the project yeah and um thank you so much for that little like introduction um so i actually started with a not real zine um which is something i posted i only made two copies of it it's called sick and Um, it's mainly based on the band that I work really closely with called the Violet Exploit. Like this is our guitarist, Brian. Um, so the first edition was just a combination of a lot of like posters and other designs I had done for separate projects. And I, I had done it while home, like at home, kind of like had this cold. I was down for the count for like two days. By the time I was feeling better, I had already sent it to Staples, got it printed. And I go all excited to Casino Guitars where my boyfriend Sean works. And I'm like, look at this thing I made. And they're like, oh, wow, this is actually like kind of a really nice quality. You know, you could do something with this. I was like, oh, you know, like you're making a a good point. And I hadn't really intended for it to be a, a bigger thing. I'd left my two copies there at the guitar shop. And then people just started messaging and like hitting me up like, oh my gosh, I want to see this. Where can I see this? So I was sending everyone to this local business (laughs) and then people wanted to participate or contribute or have an ad. And I, I myself started going around and just pitching this to a bunch of local businesses saying, I will make this ad for you. 100%, you don't necessarily have to give me any information, but your agreement that you'll help me pay for printing costs and it helps support the arts. So I include local bands, um, some of my peers that are still up in Richmond, and then I'm able to kind of showcase and practice my own abilities through Photoshop, um, doing all the advertisements. And it has grown into this like really crazy thing. I had expected or intended to do a hundred copies my first run. And then I did 120 um, and that released on the 20th of August and it, it just kind of keeps taking off and like people are super excited about it. And it's funny cause like these other subculture or counterculture, which I don't really like the, the description of counterculture, which means like almost as if it's not of culture but it is its own culture. Anyways, um, our messaging, wanting to participate, and there's also this partial hope that other people start making their own, um, which I haven't seen yet, but it's, it's like a building block really. Um, and so I, I was able to include nine local businesses, um, multiple friends and colleagues, participated in this event, as well as spaces, um, which was cool. We have an an area here, and Vic, you might know, this Create Studio in Aberdeen is actually a hairdressing salon by day. And then at night, or like whenever it's not their business hours, they open it up to be whatever people want to host an event there, they want to have a music show, an art gallery. Um, auctions, um, live concerts, like it's an adaptable space, which I think was really inspirational to me. Um, And the owner and I, we've had like such short um, interactions because they're just such a busy person, Chaz. But I want to connect more and kind of extend that appreciation of like, hey, your, your business and your flexibility and your willingness to work with anyone is super inspirational for me to start this. And I myself have only lived in the Pines area for about a year and a half. Um, It'll be two years next January. So I I just throw myself into things that'll make me feel a sense of community. And the music community here has certainly done that. And it's helped like being very close with one band, but doing so has allowed me a lot of opportunities to meet and network with these other people and, and find these other avenues And also grow with the music community at the same time that art is kind of having this re (laughs) flourish. Okay, there are so many amazing things in what you just said. <laughs> Number one, we should team up and host a zine workshop. This has come up in like multiple podcasts because I totally agree with you. Um, I went to Barnard, which is in New York City for my undergrad, which has a huge history of zine making. Um, we have our own zine library. We have a zine club. It's incredible. And you get students who come in, like I didn't, I mean, I knew about zines before college, but I didn't really know. And they have their own zine fest, and people come and they make them and they sell them, and it's so cool. And um, awesome. I used to teach, in yeah, I used to teach in public schools, as many of you know. Taught middle school for two years, and we did a lot with zines. Um, I know Victoria, y'all did as well. And my students loved this. Like I gave them free reign. We did a whole project, and I said we're gonna make a zine, and we talked about the history of it. We talked about like how you can do it. And i had students who were making like guides to their favorite cheeses and like deep dives into a tv show they really loved and like it was so fantastic i would love because you are an art historian if you could talk a little bit about the history of zine making because especially in america like there is this and i agree with you about counterculture and like is such the wrong word but there is this kind of like radical bend to the history of zine making that it has in so many ways, I work in publishing, been used as a way to like go against traditional publishing and say, you know what? You don't think this, again, like to our point before, you don't think this has value. Let me show you the value it has. I'm going to do it myself. And so many modern zine makers are just making them at home and printing them at Staples, right? Um, You don't have to have the traditional publishing press. You don't have to have like the network and the connections. Anybody can make a zine. Could you touch on that history? Um, yeah, so I I know a bit about it. It's been a few years since we had talked about it, but um, I think my most recent like remembrance of what zines were and like my personal start in the experience of it was block printing and block printing um, like individual pages for on a single sheet, folding them together, and then passing out like these wallet sized zines to just people on the streets. And we were doing that my freshman year. Um, and it was about endangered species of plants, which is random, but, and my, my professor went a little into like the significance of like the grunge punk and 80s, 90s era music culture. And so I, I know that's what I personally, um, associated with a lot and people have compared my zine to like those punk era zines. And I, I've seen some authentic ones actually up in Richmond at, um, Ooh, if I could remember the name, I'd say it. But it was a record store that archived a bunch of old era zines. And looking through this, I was like, this is just so cool. Like, just these random um, grassroots things. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, of what I understand, that is my understanding of the starting point. And then there's another artist um, that does something called Fake Flyers, who has been significantly influential um, to my stuff his name is Nathan something I wish I could remember it I'll try to send it to you if I yeah, if send I it remember. to us and we'll fill it in later perfect yeah um, but kind of like these grassroots like interjections into thought and culture and disseminating at like this ridiculous amount I just am such a fan of and what you were saying about like teaching at a school I am currently a substitute teacher at high schools. I was a permanent sub for a science class um, back in the spring while I was finishing my degree. And now I'm back doing that. <clears throat> but I, I take it in with me sometimes and I'll just pass it around to the students. Or I also go to the Sandhills Community College and drop off about 60 copies out of my 120 or so. Um, and just, like, hand them out to to students. And I'm like, if if you don't want it or if you finish reading it and you're not going to hold on to it, give it to a friend. Like, we're getting this to as many people as possible through, like, activating friendship <laughs> and, like, community. Um, so, yeah. as my personal history with zine making and, like, a very vague history of zine making. I'm sure you might actually know more than I did. Um, our school wasn't big on like zine making i wish it were but yeah no i think that was great i i definitely don't know any more than you do i know a little bit about like the history of it and um i watched a lot of documentaries to prepare to teach this like massive zine unit but it's fascinating um for somebody who wants to make a zine and has no idea where to start what do they need how do you how do you start a zine how did you start a zine? I mean, you've told us, but what are the like? What are the steps? Um. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I. Well, first you have to have your your materials of what you're going to put the pages in, and depending on the style that you do, I can actually. Um, actually, no, I won't get up because this is podcast. But I do have another separate one that I I made. Um while I was in school and I actually within the pages was using old film, like photo film. And so you hold it up to a light or over white paper and you're there's like a, you can see through it, but also see the image. Um, so it, you have to have typically a topic. Um, in my case, the, the topic is like band artist is what I've dubbed what my career is. Um, so that's now a coined term, band artist and having your topic arranging your pages which probably is the most time consuming getting them printed and then getting them stapled or put together fixed together some people will sew them um and the printing processes that could be screen printing which i've done it could be block printing which i've done or just sending it off to a printer or printing it yourself at your house like it's one of the most accessible ways to put out a lot of information at once and I think that's why I like it a lot. Whereas a painting or a mural maybe says one thing and you pass it every day, a zine is something that you can like hold on to, you can take with you. And at least my copies, they're half size sheets. Um, and it's actually only five sheets of paper, but that covers 20 pages worth of content, which includes the cover in the back. And yeah, and it, it takes me. If I really focused on it and I had all my p- material at once, it'd only take me a week. But between getting sponsorships and doing interviews and stuff, which as of right now, I conduct myself other than the help of um, actually a old student named Andrew Sellers has started writing for me because he's pursuing journalism. Um, yeah, really, it just comes down to having all the information. And then I take like a week of just putting it all together before I send it off to print. It's so cool. It's such a cool process. Um, if you've never made a zine, go on YouTube, like pause this podcast, go on YouTube, search like zine cutting tutorial, and you can take one sheet of paper and turn it into a zine, and it's it's really fun. I that's my challenge to anybody listening. Um, Skylar, that leads so nicely into kind of the next thing I want to touch on, which is this element of community that you're talking about and the way in which zines get shared through community. They're really dependent on community they often are, like in your case, it is spotlighting a very cool community. It is so interesting to hear you talk about Southern Pines because I probably moved like right before, moved out of Southern Pines, probably right before you moved in. And I lived there during COVID and did not find a huge art community. Um, felt like I was kind of on my own um, aside from a lot of my coworkers in a, in a very wonderful way. Loved living there at the same time that I found it really challenging what has it been like integrating into this art community, um, that is kind of now emerging because there's so it, for people who are not familiar with the area at all, there are so many new things that have opened in the last few years and reopened that are really like bringing a lot of young artists into this area, which is super, super cool to see. Yeah. Um, Ooh, that's a really good question because, um, it's hard to tell if I found my arts community. Like, of course you walk into like Sandhills community college common room and you kind of look around and you see some crazy colored hair and people wearing a lot of black. And you're like, those are the art students. And of course I was like, correct about my guesstimation in that moment. But at the same time, there's still a lot of people I haven't found. Um, And a, a lot of this can be word of mouth, but like through create, I was able to see, um, Zion's Perspective, which was this um beautiful photography showcase, and also had live performances of music um in the after hours of it. And through that, I was able to meet a lot of people I'd never met before. Um, and creating an art dials that I haven't really considered doing before. Um, the skate community has really had a big come up. Um and I would say the military community has brought in a lot of, of younger folks, younger, good folks, um, that, yeah, they're, they're bringing in wherever they're from, but at the same time, themselves. And I, I've seen how they're engaging with the spaces that they're in. And going from a very small town that I lived in before, and then huge Richmond, Virginia, which was such a culture shock this has been a nice in-between and it, it feels really attainable that even if it hadn't started before and maybe it's on the cusp of starting or it hasn't started at all and I'm kind of like making up that we have like this really avid arts community when it's not even like crested on what it could be, I, I want to help document that. Um, and I'm also like, I love being a fangirl in the way of like, I will support you no matter what. If you are pursuing something that you put your all into, and like, I I'm also at the age where I'm 22. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I I've spent six hundred dollars, um, actually five fifty, and then fifty of my own dollars, um, to pay for zines. Have less than broken even to try to support what I think is worthwhile and it's like other people that have thus shown me support or helped me get other commissions um spaces that I feel are super supportive for different inclusivity efforts whether it's the LGBTQIA plus community or BIPOC individuals um I people have been throwing around the word progressive a lot like I've heard multiple conversations about um Like, oh, this Aries becoming more progressive. And I don't know, like that's such a political term when like we as people could just be very cool with each other and like do very cool things. And that is what I would prefer to see as opposed to like, oh, every decision is a political statement. I don't think so. I I think it's important to enlighten people or to like shed some light on ignorance that exists in certain areas. And I think artists and creatives are more apt to think in that way and, like, process what they see and are doing in their lives day to day. They're a little more aware in that way. So then the duty kind of falls on those people, which is a little burdensome because then you're the spokesperson of whatever is going around in the area. But at the same time, it's worthwhile. Like, if I know something, why would I not tell you, like, what's wrong or what's right. And yeah, I I, I want the zine to exist as that, um, this sort of conduit of creativity, but also goodness that is around us and like keeps coming up. I really love that you brought that up. And I, I think that's such a great way to put it. There's something really interesting to me me that happens with these very clear political lines drawn around rural spaces. And at the same time, these very clear lines often drawn around artists where like artists are supposed to be the very progressive people, often like generally painted as quite liberal, very on the democratic side, like it feels like if you're gonna be an artist in a rural space, there's these, you're always gonna like, have to butt heads with that community. And in my mind, what art really should be able to do is bring people together and, and to create a community regardless of those lines, because you can't say you can only be an artist if you have a certain political affiliation, right? While many artists may tend to fall to one end of the spectrum, you can't like make that assumption and you can't exclude people out of an entire practice based on this one thing. And I think that's what's so hard when you're working both as like an artist and as a community builder in rural spaces, which so often is the role of artist in rural spaces, you kind of have to like go in and say, I'm going to find my community. I'm going to put myself out there. It's not necessarily as inherent or as natural as it might be in like a larger city, but I can't worry so much about like my art being political, like it has to be community building doesn't always, I mean, it is inherently political, but it doesn't necessarily have to be right. It can be more about here are a lot of people with good intentions, doing good things. How can we bring those people together? If that makes sense. Absolutely. No, I I completely Um, agree. And it's, it's um, no, no, no. go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I go for it. I lost my train of thought, so <laughs> it's fine. Vic, you cut all this out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got me. Um, I wanna go back to something you were saying earlier, which is that in order to kind of build this community, you just had to throw yourself into it in a lot of ways and just like show up at these places and say, Hey, I'm here, I'm doing this thing. Will you be a part of it? Um, This has come up in a lot of conversations that we have, especially with a lot of young artists where it is not easy to find community. I feel like I am on a lifelong journey to find community. And I appreciate your honesty. And you're saying like, I don't really know if I found my artistic community because I get the same question all the time. This is why we created Good Folk is to try to like, bring this community together in a lot of ways and yet still half the time I'm like I'm just out here making art on my own I don't have anybody to read my stuff I don't know where to like get advice get edits like You can be perceived as somebody who has their shit together, basically, and their community and still feel alone. That is a reality as artist. The other reality is that you're not going to find that community unless you just show up in these places, right? Sometimes that means showing up alone. I've been going to a lot of concerts alone lately and that would have terrified me two years ago. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm meeting a lot of really cool people because I'm just showing up in the spaces and saying, this is somewhere that I want to be and I want to be around the same kind of people who also want to be at this thing. How do you approach that? Oh, um, so my boyfriend being in a band super helps and he's also a m- way bigger extrovert than I am um, and I like run their merch table and stuff but his co-worker is also the owner of the Neon Rooster which had you lived here before you might have known it as the rooster's wife which has a little bit more of a historical significance. And that's located in Aberdeen. And that has been such a significant place. Um, I have done stand-up comedy there on open mics. I've met some other like really talented people, um, much more social people that are willing to like start a conversation with me um, just because I like wore a cool t-shirt or my glasses are huge. And they think that's interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I think it helps that a lot more people are social here than I am and that I was raised to be, I was, I grew up very isolated before even COVID. I'm an only child. So I'm used to being by myself and I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I love just talking about ideas. It doesn't even have to be about art. Like I've enjoyed this podcast conversation so much because it's just this exchange of creative thought. And I've been grateful to find those spaces and a lot of the artists that I do know of in the area, I'm probably not even as close with, which is, which is the craziest thing. I think I've always catered to people working in other disciplines. So, like, in school, some of my closest friends were all theater majors, and I thought they were the funniest people in the world. Love them to death. Musicians, I think they're super creative. I love that they think in a similar but very different way than I do and that their modes of creation are something that is meant to be shared in the same way that that I feel that my work is meant to be shared and I've I've made a lot of good connections through that and then they know people and word of mouth is way more significant than I think I used to think it was which I think for some people can be paranoia inducing because of course like Some small town aspects and a very common thing with rural areas is gossip and gab. But at the same time, like, I don't really do anything crazy or wrong. I, like, I I promote talking about, not me, but, like, the art that I'm doing or the cool things that I'm trying to engage in other people. And weirdly enough, too, like, the skate community has been super supportive I don't really know much of any of them, but they're just like super gung ho people about everything. And I like really hope they get their skate park because they have helped me and like a lot of the people in my life accomplish things by just showing up and showing out to like all these different kinds of events. That's what it is so much of the time, right? Sometimes it's just showing up, finding one person and then it can snowball from there. And I a huge part of it for me has also been like not being afraid to approach people or also just like message people. Like if you think what some if you think someone is doing something really cool, like let them know. All of us are artists here. I think we can all say like it means so much when people write in and tell me like, "Oh, I love what you do with this project," or like, "I read your piece," like it it meant a lot. And I feel like now I try to do that to other people. I'm I'm a words of affirmation gal, that's my love language. I'm also a Cancer Scorpio, so maybe this is just me, but I think if you are following an artist, even if it's someone that you're like, oh, they're gonna think that's weird or they're like famous or whatever, like just say hi, because life is too short to sit around and be like, that's really cool and I'm never gonna talk to that person. Like you no. never know. People have messaged me back and I've been like, what? <laughs> I can't believe I'm having a conversation with you. And it's it's really fun when that happens. Oh, absolutely. I Like I said, through the COVID and like growing up as an only child, social media is such an integral part of my socialization with other people. And that being a big one of like being other people's biggest advocates. Um, I haven't seen a lot of my peers from school in months. Some of them I haven't even seen in years but their stuff will pop up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I love what you did with the charcoal and this piece. And like, it really compliments this other thing that you did a few months ago. And my investment sometimes in people's like social media art lives is probably a little too much. Um, but it's it's my way to stay connected with those people who I know I appreciate and value and even look up to. Like I there's so many people and peers that I have that I'm like, wow i wish i could be as cool as you as when i grow up (laughs) so yeah that's been super important you're also really good at the social media that is an observation that i have found in following you i'm always like wow like you're just putting out great stuff and like well curated well designed i struggle so much with that i'm not that much older than you but i maybe i am still like generationally, I just am so resistant to like always have to market my art. Um, Vic and I have talked about this with some of our other friends who are like really good at the freelance thing and they're really good at like putting out content and getting their posts. Alexis, if you're listening, shout out to you. One of our friends just went full-time freelance and opened an exhibit in, at NC State last weekend and is like wow. doing the thing. Yeah, so good at posting. Um, her, Her name is Alexis Lawson. She's at her black hand. She was our very first podcast guest back in the day. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, She's amazing. And, And I am always constantly in awe of her and of you and how you like can kind of do this thing of like marketing your art because if y'all follow Good Folk, I'm I'm good at the newsletter and I am terrible at the social media. You know, we're not on Instagram. I retweet things a lot, but I am not great at like putting out our own content. Um, I just, like, I feel so resistant to it. In so many ways for me, it's the opposite of what you're talking about where it, while it does bring community, it also really feels like it hinders it for me. And maybe that's my personal bias, but it's fascinating. You're like the third person we've had who's like, no the internet is like a really great way to build community like that's how i've connected with so many people and i so deeply wish i was that way um but i just don't think i am but it's amazing to hear and if you know you do a lot of freelance work how do you feel like the internet is kind of changing the game with art because it it is absolutely changing things up oh yeah i um first and foremost will probably like be number one against nfts in any situation i i'm not a fan of that as a digital form not digital artwork because of course that's something like i'm active in but this whole smart contract thing that's like something i you don't even want to get me started on but in terms of social media um I, i do think it's very valuable in these like niche situations um when I was in school, I actually worked for the Black Sheep, which I don't know, when you guys were in school, your universities might have had. It was a a, a corporation. Um, it was an advertising corporation under the guise of being meme pages. Well, actually, what had happened, Black Lives Matter movement was going on. COVID was kind of in the midst and none of us were allowed to talk about Black Lives Matter and kind of everything we had built our personal VCU Blacksheet brand on in terms of connecting with our students, we couldn't talk to our peers about. And I was really pissed off about it. So I made my own meme page. I was able to talk about the things I wanted to talk about and be critical, but also relatable and funny and ridiculous about my experiences with college. Um. I ended up gaining, like, a following of about 4,000 in about two years. And then I hosted two, like, comedy music events up in Richmond um, just through that. And, yeah, so I guess my, my personal experiences with social media definitely give me the opinions that I have about it. And it's rooted in, like, these very odd places of, well, that was my only means of talking to friends in, like, high school and stuff. And then you get to college, and it's, like, how I really connect and learn to understand the, like, sociological perspective of our student body. And then it was how I was able to probably be my most honest self. Um, Even though it was an anonymous page, I I was able to say probably too much of my internal monologue all the time. Um, which which can be a little dastardly but at the same time um people like appreciated the transparency and the honesty and that has kind of forged my new perspective of having this graphic design page and yeah just not really gatekeeping what my processes are if i have like an ugly preliminary design like i'm going to show you what that preliminary design is if you want to know how to screen print i'm going to show you the steps on how to screen print um in hopes that it inspires other people to also want to do the things. It kind of feels like coming out of COVID, there's this hunger for connection, community, and also transparency, right? People want to know how everyone's feeling and what these processes are. like. I think before, everybody was a lot more guarded in a lot of ways about just, oh yeah, like everything is fine. I'm just putting my head down. I'm doing the work, whether you're an artist or not. Um, And now I feel like there's so much more vulnerability emerging on the internet. And there's also this like desire that people have to make friends and to build that community. Because I think for a lot of people going into that kind of isolation was like, Oh my God, this is terrifying. I've never been alone like this and I don't ever want to be alone like this again. Um, And now I think we're all, yeah, we're all collectively like hungry for community. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think it's a, a good thing and also kind of forces people into that habit of like maybe i will send that message to that person that i think is super cool and i like want to be friends with or hang out with or going and engaging in these different spaces and going to concerts alone or talking to people they've never really talked to before even if the conversations like aren't good and they get confused because you're in a bar and they can't really hear you and you're rambling about art history like at least you're talking and you're you have the ability to communicate with other people and hear and be heard yes and you never know where things will lead absolutely so you mentioned to us before we got on the podcast that you are working on the second edition of the zine could you tell us a little bit more about that when is it going to be out how can people get their hands on it which is so exciting yes so the september issue of sick will be coming out it should be around the 20th however that's a tuesday so i might push it to that friday just to maybe keep it on a consistent schedule until i get to the new year and i'll be releasing on the first of every month but the september issue it will be predominantly artist and musicians based um i found out actually this morning and had a little celebration in my pajamas Finding out that printing in a black and white anti-chroma issue, which I had set out to do anyways, is much cheaper than printing in color. And so by taking up less ads, I will be able to include way more content. And I'm super stoked to like add you guys and what you're doing with good folks and adding some links and stuff. I try to make it as interactive as possible as well. So if I add any little like animation to your page or something, I'll let you know. I like to leave little like Easter eggs almost throughout the pages. Um that you almost have to be aware of the, the social media aspect of the page and the other things that I do to know that it activates and you can engage in the zine in this way. But yes, um working with I think three local businesses this time. I've got some more traditional art makers that are included. I'm doing a music review um i'm having a conversation actually later today with portia hernandez who is a photographer and she wanted to discuss e- like equitable ecu- ooh, equitable spaces and treatment um in an area that's predominantly white um as a black woman and yeah so giving exposure to these different ideas and identities is what to expect in the anti-chromatic issue in september And it's gonna be a monthly zine following that because it sounds amazing i can't wait to get my hands on it and i want every single copy so what do we get to look forward to it you said monthly yes so there they are monthly and i also have a website set up for it as well that i try my best to update um and that also includes other flyer designs and stuff so for people that are in the area, if I am doing a flyer for these particular events, I keep them updated on there. Sometimes I do project breakdowns of what like design like reasons there were, but also talking about some of the the musicians and the artists that might be involved in this. Very exciting stuff, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's super exciting, congratulations. Um, so we, w- we will absolutely link to all of that so you all can see it and or see what you can on the site and read it and you know, come to Southern Pines and get your hands on a copy because it's beautiful if you have not gotten to see the images um, and definitely follow Skylar on social media. We will link and post all the accounts so that you can and you can follow along. I know we are coming up on our hour So I could talk about zines and zine history and arts equity access. So we'll just have to get you back on for another episode at some point in time. Um, But we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast. And you can interpret this any way you would like. We've had people take it in a lot of different directions. Um, But the last question I have for you is, what do you believe in? Oh, Oh, that's such a good question. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hold on. It's a hard one. We, we save it for the last one because we know it's a challenge. It's a really good question though. I like that a lot. What do I believe in? I believe in making things possible. I suppose I believe in like things are worth dying, trying and to put your all into everything, especially like while you have the time to do it. Um, yeah being up showing up like all of these things like so much is possible that very little is impossible except for the very existence of the word impossible um i believe anything is possible and people should pursue what they want to pursue and do the things they want to do and love the way they want to love and create the spaces that they want to exist in that's beautiful just go out there and do it y'all Go make a zine and go DM someone you think is cool on Instagram. There's your challenge for the day. (laughs) Skylar, thank you so much. We're so excited to be a part of the zine um, and to share it in any way that we can. And with that, we will bid you all adieu. Have a great evening, morning, night, wherever you are. Stay good, be good, and we will see you next time.